You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And as you turn there, let me bring you up to speed. If you happen to have wandered in a little bit late this morning and you're confused as to why we're not singing right now, as we are all well aware, last Sunday it was announced that our state is entering into a second lockdown. With that announcement came a new set of guidelines for businesses, organizations, social gatherings, and the like. On Tuesday, many of you received an email from me with an official announcement regarding this Sunday service. If you are not on the church's general information distribution list, I would encourage you, go online to our church's website and sign up for that. Important information gets sent across that that wire all the time. So that said, I would like to begin by reading just a portion, not the whole thing, but just a portion of that email before we begin. This was last Tuesday. Last night, The elders looked over the new guidelines, and we are happy to say that we, for the most part, remain unaffected. Much like the phase two rules we were already following, mandates such as mask wearing and room capacity remain the same as before. However, there is one new addition to the state's mandate that we, as a church, simply cannot obey. Section five on the third page states that congregational singing is prohibited. Over the course of this pandemic, this is the first time we have been told not to lift our voices in song. While we will continue to honor those who are over us, exercise caution, and care for those around us, we cannot quietly comply. God's word is not silent regarding this issue. The Bible contains 500 references to singing and at least 50 direct commands to sing. The call to worship through song is not a suggestion. It is commanded by our God and King. We have said all along that we need to follow Christ's example and submit to our earthly authorities in every area except one, in the event that they command us to sin. What does that look like? If they require us to do something that God forbids or forbid us from doing something that God requires, We are no longer bound to respect their wishes by submitting to their authority. In fact, it would be wrong for us to do so. Let me add that we as elders take our responsibility before the Lord very seriously. Certainly, we have been called to teach you, to pray for you, to manage the business of the church and model godliness and a whole host of other things. But we have also been given the task of shepherding you, meaning we protect you from spiritual harm. We whack you with a rod when you wander off into sin. And we carry you on our shoulders when you don't think you can make it. The decisions we make as a leadership team are often difficult. But in the end, we must do what we believe is right and honoring before the Lord. It is for that reason we have encouraged compliance here at this church, and we will continue to do so. 
We are not throwing the book out the window or removing all of the passages that we have looked at in our Bibles this last summer. Scriptures like 1 Peter 2, Romans 13, Titus 3, Jesus before Pilate, and so forth. While wearing a mask and washing our hands 12 times a day can be inconvenient, those activities are not in and of themselves inherently sinful. We can, and quite frankly, should comply with a clear conscience and a good attitude where the government's orders do not conflict with the orders of our king. The question we now face, though, is what about this command, this new order to cease from congregational singing? Just how important is it for the body of Christ for us to regularly sing as we come together? And of all the hills before us, is this one really worth dying on? And what would the Lord have his church do during this particular season of repetitive lockdowns? So in the spirit of shepherding, we have decided to dedicate this service to answering those questions the best way we know how, by turning our attention to the living and active word of God. So Ephesians 5, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Ephesians 5, it's one of many passages that speak to this issue. And if I'm being completely honest with you, the reason we're here today in Ephesians 5, it's because I sat down and I took all of the passages that first came to mind that center around congregational singing. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I just randomly picked one. I just picked one. It wasn't until after I chained myself to my desk this week and started studying this text that I discovered how rich and how appropriate these verses are for our present situation. So please follow along as I start reading here in verse 15 just for the sake of context. Through the influence and power of the Spirit, Paul says to look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What we have here is a Holy Spirit-inspired command to be filled with the Spirit. That is the main verb found in this section. Even back then, the days were evil. They were evil. We always talk about the good old days. We always look back and we say, oh, those days were better than they are now. No, the days have always been evil. They were evil back then and they are evil today. The temptation was there to fight fire with fire. The same passions of the flesh and worldly desires were rampant in their world as they are in ours. And in the verses leading up to verse 15, Paul talks about those evils in great detail. He says, don't be like the world. Wake up and stand out by being imitators of God. 
Therefore, don't be foolish. Think about what you're doing. Be wise and full of understanding and know what the will of the Lord is. Based on what he then says, after all of that, without any context, it would appear as though the Ephesian church had a drinking problem. Because what does he say? He says, don't get drunk with wine. It's that reference to wine in verse 18, though. He's not talking about their, their problems that they would have within their congregation, much like the Corinthian church, who did have a drinking problem when it came to the Lord's Supper. No, instead, he's hearkening back to the pagan rituals that many of these Gentile believers came out of when they were saved. Whereas at one time, they used to get drunk, and they used to participate in disgraceful sexual activities in order to achieve a sense of emotional connection with their false gods. Now they are to be filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit of the one true living God. What follows then, after all of that, are five participles that modify the main verb. You can see them there. They are the words addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. These modifiers provide the results or the consequences of being filled with the Spirit. Much like how a person who is under the influence of alcohol might show certain effects. This is how a person who is under the influence of the Spirit is naturally affected by the Spirit. If we were currently walking through Ephesians and not Philippians, verse by verse, I would most likely make these five participles my outline. I would probably spend a few messages unpacking all of this because there is so much more here in these verses. But that's not our goal today. And I want to make sure that we walk away with the big picture. So I've divided the passage thematically around this principal matter of congregational singing. In just a few verses, Paul tells us a lot about corporate praise and God's heart on the matter. So to start things off, I I want you to notice the audience of congregational singing. The audience of congregational singing. When we come together, it's important for us to know who we are singing to and who benefits from it. Our text provides more than one answer. First, we are told we must sing to each other. We must sing to each other. Look at the beginning of verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And again, at the beginning of verse 21, submitting to one another. The corporate praise must be a public event, not some private affair that occurs just between you and the Lord. This needs to be expressed openly and freely. It needs to be addressed for yourself and for other believers to benefit from it. Because there are practical benefits that accompany this on a human level. When we come together to sing, you benefit, those around you benefit. There is a horizontal effect that spreads out. And it is most certainly clearly defined and delineated here within Scripture. So, while far from comprehensive, let me just share a few of those benefits with you. First of all, congregational singing is edifying. It's edifying. Psalm 92.1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. 
Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. There's just something about coming together as God's people to join together in God's praise. It lifts the soul, it brightens the eyes. We certainly don't offer praise to to get more back, but what a wonderful blessing it is to come together and to bless the Lord. Also, congregational singing is educational. It's educational. All throughout Scripture, we see songs intended to teach. We use these songs to teach our children. Uh, We see this with Moses and David and Solomon and so many others. And if we're honest, we will admit that much of our theology and even much of our worldview comes from the music that we immerse ourselves in. Those things that we listen to on a constant, daily basis. It's educational. It informs our minds. It informs our hearts. Additionally, congregational singing is enduring. It's enduring. It sticks with you. And it often lasts a lifetime. It doesn't go away. It's funny how sometimes you'll, you'll be driving around and you'll hear a song come on the radio, and what does it do? It immediately takes you back to another time and place. It's enduring. It sticks with you. A man named Ira Sankey was well known for leading music at the D.O. Moody evangelistic meetings. Well, on Christmas Eve in 1875, he was traveling down a steamboat on the Delaware River when some of the passengers recognized him and they asked him to sing. So he decided to stand up and sing the song, Savior Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. When he finished, a man stepped out of the shadows, and he asked, Did you serve in the Union Army? Yes, Sankey replied, in the spring of 1860. The stranger asked, Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Once again, Sankey Sankey replied, Yes, wondering, Where is the man going with this? The gentleman just shook his head and said, I was there too, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I raised my gun and I took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. In that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. But the song you sang then was the song you sang just now. I heard the words perfectly. And those words stirred up many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother who sang that song to me many times. When you finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. Make no mistake, the songs that we sing week in and week out, they are edifying, educational, and enduring. It's no wonder that congregational singing is then essential. It's essential. Listen, the act of singing songs of praise is found before the beginning and after the end. Let's go ahead and turn back to Job 38. Job chapter 38. It's important for us to remember that Man did not invent music and song. The events found in Job, 
They happened a long time ago, around the same time as Abraham. Job and his friends have had their say throughout the letter, or throughout the book here. Now in chapter 38, it's God's turn to respond. Starting in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. So God says, I know you're ignorant, so I'll ask you a few questions and show you that you're ignorant. So he asked this question. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Now get this. He says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So he goes all the way back, all the way back to the beginning, long before he created man on the earth. And in that time and in that setting, he says that the morning stars sang together and that all the sons of God shouted for joy. These sons of God, they're identified in Job chapter 1 as the angels. So when God created the world, the angels, they couldn't help themselves. They couldn't help but burst forth in songs of praise. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. We've seen the beginning. Now let's turn around to the end. Revelation chapter 5 where John is given the high privilege of looking into the future and seeing the throne of heaven. Look at what he sees and hears here in Revelation 5, starting in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, that's the title deed to the earth, and the four living creatures, that's the cherubim that we see in the Old Testament, and the 24 elders that represent the church, They fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then get this in verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Notice that there are instruments here in heaven. There are instruments and songs of praise waiting for us here at the beginning of the end. The worship of God through corporate singing always has been and always will be an essential expression of active praise. In fact, Look at how comprehensive this praise will become. There in verse 11, And I looked and and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And then verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying. You see, songs of praise, they began a long time ago before the first man walked the earth, and they will continue through all of eternity as our worship will continue to find expression in song. To say that such a practice is optional for the church is to say that breathing comes highly recommended. We must sing. We must sing. And we must sing now at this time in history more than ever. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Our goal is not to become reckless. We have been careful. And thankfully, there haven't been any outbreaks here. We will continue to be careful. And we will continue to pray that that doesn't change. But friends, depression is on the rise. I know of at least three people personally who have committed suicide in the last year. Alcoholism, drug use, domestic abuse, sex trafficking, and so much more have increased exponentially over the last few months. Church, now is not the time to stop singing. We need the edifying, educational, enduring, and essential truth to dwell in us richly. And we need it now more than ever. No need to turn there, but the sister passage to our text is found in Colossians 3.16. There he writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he tells us how. He says, Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And get this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Friend, our singing together is far from optional. It is essential. And those are just the benefits that we receive as we address one another. But there's another audience member who deserves our praise more than the benefits we receive from it. Because ultimately, we must sing to the Lord. We must sing to the Lord. We sing to each other, and we sing to the Lord. Look at the rest of verse 19. He says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And again, in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. After all, the whole point and purpose of our praise is to entirely glorify God. And that's exactly what we were created to do. I have to agree with Martin Luther, who said, Next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our thoughts, minds, hearts, and spirit. This precious gift has been given to man alone that he might thereby remind himself that God has created man for the express purpose of praising and extolling God. That's good. That's excellent. Of course, Martin Luther then couldn't help himself. He had to go on in typical Martin Luther bravado and say, a person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God does not deserve to be called a human being. He went on to say that that person should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of donkeys and the grunting of hogs. It's brutal, but we all get the point. Music was created by God, for God, and we have God to thank for it. So it makes sense for us to find our greatest motivations for singing in God himself. Let me give you just a few. Why should we sing? We should sing because God loves it. God loves it. Psalm 149 verses 3 and 4 say, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. God delights in the songs and praises of his people. We also sing because God commands it. God commands it. I mentioned earlier that the Bible contains 500 references to singing and at least 50 direct commands to sing. 
More than a hundred of those references are found in the Psalms. And throughout the New Testament, what do we see? We see believers singing in church, believers singing in jails, believers singing in homes. This is not a gentle suggestion, but a strong command and a natural response for believers, even in times harder than these. Another reason we sing is because God does it. God does it. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Notice God is the singer in this text, and he's not quiet. He is loud in his singing over his people. Or one of my favorites is Hebrews 2. Verses 11 and 12. Speaking of Jesus, the writer says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. That's us. In the midst of the congregation, I, that's Christ, will sing of your, the Father's, praise. A couple verses later, we're told what that praise will look like. Jesus says, Behold, I and the children God has given me. He says, The day will come when Jesus will stand in our midst and he will lead us in praise to the Father because the Father has given us a gift of love. He has given us as a gift of love to his Son. That's a really good reason to sing. And then finally, we sing because God blesses it. God blesses it. If God loves it, commands it, and does it, it should be no surprise that he blesses it. So if we are ever asked, why is singing so important? The scripture is full of reasons why. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. There's more to our text than the first heading, the audience of congregational singing having established that we must sing to each other and we must sing to the Lord. Let's focus on the assortment of congregational singing. The assortment of congregational singing. I I can't speak for all of us here in this room, but I am so thankful and glad that Scripture does not limit us to just one type of song. I am so thankful for that. A lot of churches might do that, but the Bible doesn't. The three options listed here in Ephesians 5 are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That first word, psalms, it's a transliteration of the Greek word psalmos, meaning to pluck a string or the sound of a stringed instrument. In the Old Testament, the psalms were intended to be sung with stringed instruments. The word appears seven times in the New Testament, and each time it clearly points back to the Old Testament Psalter. So what Paul is saying here is that we should sing those songs, those psalms from the Old Testament, or at the very least, songs that contain them, that contain their poetry, prose, theology, and style. And and that's exactly what we do. And many of the songs that we sing are directly pulled from the psalms themselves because they are full of deep devotion, rich theology, and a wide range of, of emotion. The second category listed here are hymns. Hymns. I mean, once again, the English word is a transliteration of a Greek word, humnos. 
meaning a poem or a song with religious content that is directed to or concerning a deity. These are songs that are either about God or addressed to God. Whether it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, or in some cases all three, it doesn't matter. It just has to be about God. We are told in Mark 14, 26 that after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. Earlier this year, we looked at that incredible section of Philippians 2, where Jesus' humiliation and exaltation are so vividly described. And it is very likely that that section, in that section, that Paul is quoting a first century hymn from the earliest days of the church. Hymns have a, a, a rich tradition and, and even a scriptural history within the church. And then finally, the last category listed here is spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. The word song here is the same word that we get for our English word ode. It's a generic term. It just simply refers to a poem that is intended to be sung or, or a lyrical piece set to music. Now, obviously, it's a broad term, but let's not forget that little qualifier. Let's not skip over it quickly, that, that qualifying word, spiritual spiritual. In other words, the songs that we sing when we come together, they should be spiritual. They shouldn't be secular. I remember visiting a church once that played the song Dream On by Aerosmith as a part of their worship set. Attempts at mixing the secular and the sacred are not new, but this trend of bringing songs that have nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with God or the Spirit or or the church, to, to, to bring these kinds of songs into the church. It's alarming, to say the least. I'm not talking about the instruments or the style of music, but the content. A spiritual song must point to something real, something solid, substantial, and sacred. The, the, the thought of the early church coming together under the weight of intense persecution to sing silly songs that fail to edify, educate, or endure is ludicrous. It's absurd and totally bizarre for God's people to trade praise for entertainment. It should go without saying that the songs we sing should be spiritual, which is another way of saying they must be biblical. If our standard is simply not to let Aerosmith into our song rotation, then we're still in a bad spot. Listen, friends, I, I realize this might be one of the most unpopular statements I make this morning, but it's true. Christian radio is full of terrible music. Amen. I got a few amens. And I don't say that as a matter of personal taste. It's just a fact. The music might be inspiring. It may give you the feels. But if the lyrics are not rich with biblical truth, it is not a true spiritual song. And quite frankly, it has no place in the church. Honestly, if it's not saturated with clear biblical truth, you're probably better off turning the station and finding entertainment in a song about a cowboy losing his dog. At least in that case, you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And the risk of exchanging theological clarity for confusion is minimized. Thankfully, the church has almost 2,000 years of making lots of music for us to choose from. Some of it stinks, and some of it's good. 
The best way to discern whether or not a song is truly biblical, it's simple, folks. It's to be in the Bible. That is the best way of knowing whether or not a song is truly biblical. The more time you spend in God's Word, the easier it gets to identify between eh, okay, good, better, and best. My old preaching professor would say, high theology creates high doxology. And the higher your knowledge of God, the higher your praise of Him will become. There is so much more for us to camp out on here, but for the sake of time, we'll keep moving. And we'll transition on into our final heading for the day. You've seen the audience of congregational singing and the assortment of congregational singing. Finally, let's look at the attitude of congregational singing. The attitude. The remaining verses, they, they give us a string of emotions and thoughts and feelings and, and postures and attitudes that accompany the corporate singing and melody making of the church. I count at least seven of them. Maybe there's more. Either way, we'll do our best to at least touch on what we have here in front of us today. To begin with, we must sing engagingly. Engagingly. At the very end of verse 19, what does he say? He says, sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. With your heart. Look, if your inner man is not fully engaged in praise, then your worship is lacking at best. I like how Donald Whitney puts it. He writes, Since worship is focusing on and responding to God, regardless of what else we are doing, we are not worshiping if we are not thinking about God. You may be listening to a sermon, but without thinking of how God's truth applies to your life, and affects your relationship with Him, you aren't worshiping. You may be singing, holy, 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 but if you aren't thinking about God while singing it, you are not worshiping. You may be listening to someone pray, but if you aren't thinking of God and praying with them, you aren't worshiping. Friends, it's true. If we are to worship Him, we must do so fully engaged, heart and soul. Next, we, we need to sing thankfully. He says, giving thanks. And despite the challenges of the new lockdown, this week is our week to celebrate what? Thanksgiving. Amen. Yes, one of my favorite holidays, as many of you can tell. A.J. <laughs> Jacobs is an acclaimed author best known for completely immersing himself in his research. He read an entire set of Encyclopedia Britannica for one of his books and spent another year living like an Old Testament Hebrew. Among his unique endeavors, he once embraced the original version of Thanksgiving. He discovered that it was quite a celebration with games, riddles, races, contests, and foods like not so much turkey, but eels and lobster. However, his most profound discovery was the realization that this time of gratitude in 1621 followed a year in which 48 of the original 102 pilgrims died. Scurvy and exposure claimed half of them, yet they rejoiced with thanksgiving. His conclusion was, if they could appreciate life amid such chaos, pain, and uncertainty, I could give thanks for all the good things in my relatively cushy life. 
Likewise, another historian observed, the pilgrims made seven times more graves than huts. Nevertheless, they set aside a day for thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, we are told to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. After that, we must sing continually. What's the next word? Always. Always. We need to sing continually. Not sometimes, but all of the time. Not when we feel like it, but when we don't. Like the verse that I just read, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we are to rejoice always, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. Listen to this. On April 21st, 1764, John Wesley added this entry to his journal. He wrote, I visited one who was ill in bed, and after having buried seven of her family in six months, had just heard the eighth, her beloved husband was cast away at sea. I asked her, do, you, do not you fret at any of these things? Don't they bother you? She said with a lovely smile upon her pale cheek, Oh no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all besides. He has given me himself. I love, I praise him every moment. Wow. Friends, that is what it looks like to always give thanks at all times in every circumstance. But not only should we sing engagingly, thankfully, and continually, we must also sing comprehensively. Comprehensively, he says, always and for everything, as in everything. Like the woman in Wesley's journal, we must praise him through the darkest times, to the very end, come what may. As Psalm 511 affirms, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice, rejoice, let them ever sing for joy. Additionally, we must sing biblically. Biblically, look at what he says next. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, our praise is not to be silly or arbitrary or self-serving, but focused on the Godhead. To quote Johann Sebastian Bach, he once said, All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, only a devilish hubbub. In the header of all of his compositions, he would also write JJ, the initials for Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. And at the end of each piece, he would write SDG for Sola Dea Gratia, which means to God alone be the glory. Six, we must sing submissively submissively. Verse 21, he says, submitting to one another. In other words, we don't get defensive and we don't get bent out of shape as we come together to do this. We don't reject the truth as others are singing it. We don't complain about the style and we don't look for ways to bring the attention back to ourselves. Rather, we submit to one another in all aspects And then finally, we must sing reverently. Reverently, he says, out of reverence for Christ. Let me just say that 
In our fast-paced online world, this aspect of reverence, in many ways, it's diminished, it's lost, and friends, we need it now more than ever, especially within our worship. Some of you have noticed that for the last couple of years, we have stopped singing songs from the popular group Hillsong. And the reason why is because of this little word, reverence. There was a time when Hillsong wrote some really good spiritual songs, especially back in the early 2000s. However, as time went on, the lyrics got worse, and they continued to make headlines in a bad way. I'll never forget, it wasn't long after I came here to this church. We had a particular service where we sang, I think, four or five Hillsong songs in a row. And there were complaints. We had some people even leave the church over that. And so I remember Pastor Bill calling me into his office and asking me, Hans, what do you know about Hillsong? And so I just shared with them what I knew. I was like, well, I don't know a whole lot, to be honest. I do know that they come across my news feeds often. And typically the headlines are not good. There was a time when, and I even hesitate to share some of these things with you because they are not good, but thankfully the children have been dismissed and we're all adults, so I'll go ahead and share it with you because it's important information for you to know if you don't know already. But I told him at least at that time, I was like, I know that Hillsong put on a, a women's conference somewhere, and they had some guy come out in the middle of it all wearing nothing but a Speedo and a cowboy hat with a guitar over his midsection. And they jokingly referred to him as the naked cowboy. Next to him on either side was chorus lines doing high kicks. And the women just loved it. They went nuts for it. I told him, that's shameful. Then not long after that, they would come out with new Christmas specials every year. And they did a Chicago jazz-style version of Silent Night that was incredibly inappropriate. Again, inappropriately dressed, inappropriately executed. Not reverent at all. And then not long after that, Hillsong New York's pastor, Carl Lentz, was seen throwing back shots with Justin Bieber in a bar somewhere and bumping and grinding on some little old lady. Again, terribly inappropriate. It felt like every other week, Hillsong was in the news, but it wasn't for anything good. It was for all of these things that keep bringing reproach upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember after sharing some of those things with Pastor Bill, he was floored. He was like, oh, that's awful. That's terrible. Will you come in and, and share some of those things with the people who are putting together our, our Thanksgiving uh, uh, harvest dinner? And I begrudgingly said, yes, sure, I will. All that to say, we decided after a while, we're just not going to sing their songs. And the reason for that is because they are constantly in the news. And whenever we sing those songs, even the good ones from back in the day, when we see those little words on the screen for the CCLI licensing information that say that the song is a Hillsong song, again, we still have people that would come to us and say, you know, my heart just sank when I saw those words. I was having a good time. I was, I was engaged in worship. I was glorifying my God, and then I saw that, and I just checked out for the next 20 seconds, 30 seconds, or whatever, and I just couldn't get back into it. It's too bad. It's too bad. Church, reverence matters. There's nothing reverent about a group that continues to drag the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mud. And like I said earlier, the church has almost 2,000 years of great music to choose from. 
Not to mention that there are those out there today that the Lord is still using to bless the church and glorify his name in song. Well, up until now, the state has not forbidden us from doing what God has commanded. Well, I would be the first to admit that the wafers that we have shared in our little communion packs taste awful. And several of the religious guidelines our state has issued in the name of health and safety are inconvenient. This is the first time that we have been told to alter the form of our worship by completely removing a central element of it. Singing with a mask on is a temporary inconvenience. Being told not to sing at all, that is unacceptable for the church. Other Christian organizations, such as schools, shelters, and seminaries, they may choose not to sing for a while, and that is their decision to make. And Jesus didn't establish a school that will withstand the gates of hell. He established the church. He didn't die for a shelter. He died for the church. And he's not coming back for a seminary. He's coming back for the church. So until then, let's live with the inconveniences while choosing to follow Christ in all things. So for now, we will continue to encourage mask wearing and increase sanitation. For now, we will continue to preach and sing the truths of Scripture with plexiglass on the platform and a few extra feet between us. Why? Because of 1 Peter 2, Romans 13, Titus 3, and Jesus before Pilate, just to name a few. We will continue to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And we'll even take it a step further. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 say, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, thanksgivings even, be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So even if you didn't vote for our current rule makers and those who are in high positions in our state and in our country, friend, I hope that you're praying for them. I hope that you're interceding for them. And yes, I even hope that you're thanking God for them. Because like Jesus said to, the, said to Pilate, they would have no authority over us at all unless it had been given to them from God above. So let's pray for our leaders. And rather than slander them online or malign them in everyday conversation, what should we do, friends? Let's be filled with the Spirit. Let's give hope to the hopeless. And let's be like our King who humbled himself to the point of death. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Instead of putting them down, let's praise our God. Scripture is clear. We are to honor these men, and we are to submit to them for the Lord's sake in everything but. But. Everything but disobedience to our king. And our king has commanded us to sing. Now more than ever, corporate praise is not an optional element of worship, especially when we congregate as the church, the very bride of Christ himself. 
Our singing is an essential piece that has been prioritized and ordered by God. It is strongly connected to being filled with the Spirit. That is, to walk in the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to live in a manner worthy of the Spirit. We are commanded to be that. And as we pursue Him, the natural result is to sing. Psalm 33.1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, because praise befits the upright. And when we do so, we are edified and encouraged. Our souls rise as we turn our eyes away from our circumstances and back onto Christ. Our minds are educated as the truth of God informs our hearts with emotional impact. And enduring roots dig deep into the soil of our souls because congregational singing is not optional, it's essential. This is something that God loves. He commands us to do it. He does it himself and he blesses the ones who do it. He has given us a wide assortment of songs with which to express our praise. So when we sing, we must do so engagingly, thankfully, continually, comprehensively, biblically, submissively, and reverently. All that to say, church, what must we do? What would the Lord have us do here in this moment at this time? I would say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God of heaven, maker of all, Lord, thank you for this tremendous gift of song, of praise, of music, of expression, of emotional power in praise. God, I pray that as we now turn our hearts again from your word into deeper theological truths of, of, of scripture brought to life, set to music, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves edified that we would find ourselves educated and that these songs would endure in our hearts. Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross in our place. Thank you for the marvelous gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us, for bringing us together, for establishing your church and saying that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, give us the grace that we need to live quiet and godly lives, to pray for our leaders in spite of them, in spite of us. Lord, give us everything that we need to maintain that quiet and godly life that you desire for us. Help us, Lord. Help us to hold on to these attitudes as we come before you in an assortment of song. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give you glory, and we give you honor because you are worthy of it all and so much more. In your precious and holy name, amen.